Thank you guys for fantastic music thank you. today. That was thank beautiful. You, Sarah, Bethany, thank y'all for everyone joining in. Everyone guys, involved. thank y'all. Bless yep. you. <laughs> <laughs> um, welcome, Christ Community Church. Uh, my bride and I greet you in the name of our Savior. And we're happy that y'all are here with us today. Um, I'm happy to be here. I'm happy as heck to be here. Happy as heck. Um, right after the service, right after I literally dismissed the service, we're going to have a, just a, a brief time of prayer right over here in the corner. And uh, any of you that would like to come and be prayed for, you're welcome to come. Any of you that are in a place where I'm just so blessed, I'd like to be praying for people. If you want to be a prayer, you come pray with us. If you want to be prayed for, you come and let us pray for you. But we'd like to do that right after the service, right over there in the corner. Um, you want to get us started, friend? I will get us started. So uh, you are probably familiar with the story, perhaps, perhaps you are familiar with the story of Naaman. Uh, from the Old Testament, Naaman was a leader in uh, the, the place that's now we would now call Syria. And he came down with leprosy. And in that day, that was a terrible thing. And as bad as it could get. You weren't going to recover from that. It wasn't going to get any better. And so he was, you know, understandably upset. And a young woman that was around said to him, you know what? I have heard, or we have heard, of a prophet in Israel named Elisha. And if you go there, maybe he could heal you. He will heal you. So Naaman decides that's a good idea. He's pretty desperate with this leprosy. So he gets all this stuff and takes it with him. I'm not reading directly, but it was hundreds of pounds of silver and clothing and gold, all these gifts to give to the prophet in hopes that he'll be healed of this leprosy. When he gets over there, makes a big trip. Everybody's, all these officials are gone with him because he's a, he's a fancy guy. And they get over there and, uh, to Elisha, and Elisha sends a note out or, or messenger out that says, you know, if you just go dip in the river, Jordan River. the yeah. Jordan River there, seven times you'll be healed. But Elisha doesn't show up. He just sends the messenger. You know this story. Well, it bugs um, Naaman. He's a fancy guy. He's brought all this stuff himself and all these things. He expected more, like something more dramatic perhaps, or at least Elisha to show up. And honor him. Yeah, and he did make a big trip and everything. And he's about to leave and just say, forget it. And his generals or his officials that are with him, somebody says, don't you think you ought, you're here? Don't you think you ought to give it a try? And he listens. He said, if, if, you, if, you, if the prophet had asked you to do something yeah. difficult, you'd have done it in a minute Isn't to get that rid of funny? this leprosy. Aren't you willing to do something simple? Isn't that a, an amazing uh, characteristic of human beings? Ask us to do something huge, man, we are in. And we'll put it everywhere and, go, and, and enlist everybody and make the thing of it. But ask us to do something simple or low-key or w w that gives us pause. Anyway, the end of the story is Naaman listens, goes and gets in the river, dips seven times, the Jordan River dips seven times, and he is healed. But the point is what Larry said, right? If it he was something big, we would be more yeah. apt to consider yeah. doing it. Yeah. What an odd human trait. And as I thought about that 
this past week, that story, it just struck me how that man had as bad a problem, malady, burden, as anybody could have in that day. Leprosy was, it would be like being told you had terminal cancer. It was the worst thing. And um, he almost spent the rest of his life with that leprosy. He was that close to spending the rest of his life with his bad, with, with that which would have robbed him of abundant life. He was that close to spending the rest of his life with that which would have robbed him of the life God had for him. Healing. Better. It was better. But he, at the last, just, you know, minute, he, he chose to listen to some people around him that genuinely cared for him. And because he was willing to listen, his life became not just a little better, it went from terrible to great. Not perfect. I'm sure he still had problems and issues and battles and difficulties. But it went from as bad and hopeless and desperate a situation to a life with hope and goodness and joy. All because he was willing to listen to some people who cared about him. And I wonder in this room, I wonder sitting on, on this stool, if there aren't some of us that we have resigned ourselves to a life, maybe we wouldn't say it's leprosy, but that's not a bad term to describe our marriage. Not a bad term to describe our finances. Not a bad term to describe our health. Our relationships with other people. Not a bad term to describe our relationship with our kids, our parents, our friends, our co-workers. We wouldn't call it leprosy. Maybe. But if that story says anything to me, it says that there comes a point in our lives where we are going to hear truth and we're either going to say, I'm not listening. I know better. I know already. I've already heard that. That's whatever. I'm not going to listen. And we spend the rest of our life with that which defines us and robs us of a great life. Or we're going to not let that happen. And the difference is whether or not we're willing to listen.
So that's what, I, that's what we want to talk about today with y'all for a few minutes. Last week we talked about the impact that that, uh, that po- podcast series, right? That's mm-hmm. what you're talking about. Mm-hmm. That podcast series that I told you I listened to about Mark Griscoll. The most influential, well-known, popular, successful, not a preacher on this planet that wouldn't have, that wasn't envious and wouldn't have swapped places with him. If they, if they were just not idiots. Unless they were idiots. Oh my gosh. And if you listen to that podcast series that I told you all about, For 14 years, when he was a nobody to the most prominent pastor in America, people came who loved him, cared about him, godly people, wise people, and spoke into his life warnings, challenges, rebukes. And you hear him. You hear him on this podcast. His own words. I will not listen to you or I will not listen to them. Who are they to tell me anything? My church is bigger than their church. My church is bigger than John Vipers. My church is bigger than Tim Keller's. Who? They have nothing they can tell me. John, There's nothing that John Viper or Tim Keller could tell you? Do you think that through? You think that through. He would not listen to anyone. And he lost. Not a matter of is he a bad guy or a good guy. Not a matter of is he right or wrong. Not a matter of, of God loving him or not loving him. Going to heaven or not going to heaven. We're not talking about that. None of that. That's not the issue. The issue is God gave him this incredible opportunity to have his life changed and Literally millions to be changed and benefited from along with the different he would not listen. That's what we want to talk about today for just a little while. I teach Flannery O'Connor at school. She's a Southern writer, if you've not read her before. And I'll just say real quickly, she she's very famous. She's the master of the short story, the American short story anyway. And um, she's She's got, I don't know, her complete collection is maybe 40 short stories, something like that. In every single one of them, every single one, she offers, as a a believer, Flannery O'Connor was a a Christian, she believes that grace is offered to everyone. Grace and truth is offered to everyone. And so she creates this magnificent collection of short stories where you, you, the reader, can see it. And the person in the story can see it, too. There's the grace. I've been looking for this. The thing I've been looking for. There's the truth. And it's and there's oh. the moment when I can get rid of the leprosy. There's the That's moment. That's exactly right. Yeah. Yeah. I've been praying for this. I've been looking for this. She lays it out. Nature lays it out. God lays it out. Something in the story lays it out. And 99%, I can only think of one short story where this isn't true. All the people say, oh, oh, no thanks. No Not thanks. that. Yeah. I'll take something else, but not that. I've been wanting this. I've been looking for this. Oh. Or as my five-year-old grandson would say, no thanks. No thanks. No thanks. You want some, you want some pizza? No thanks. No thanks. Let's, go, let's go to Sonic and get a cheeseburger. No thanks. 
He doesn't want that. He doesn't think you'll like that. And you're like, dude, oh my gosh. I mean, <laughs> this is, no thanks. Isn't it funny that the first story in the Bible and the last story in the Bible, two people and almost everybody in the world <laughs> tells God exactly the same thing. No thanks. no thanks. I will not listen to you. I know better. I know you're telling me that to experience a great life, I've got to not eat this fruit. But I, I will not listen. Uh, when the Antichrist comes and the Christ comes and they, they, they meet the, most of the world's population, says to Christ Himself, literally, Christ... I will not listen. I will not listen. David said in Psalm 142, I'm going to read it just so I don't miss it up. He goes, No one is by my side. No one is concerned about me. I have no refuge. No one cares for my life. David understood what it felt like to be in a place in his life where he had nobody that cared enough about him to invest in his life, to speak into his life. He knew what that felt like. David also knew very well the treasure it is to have people who love you and care about you and want to invest in your life, not to control or manipulate, but so that you can experience better, so that you can experience uh, uh, that, that which God has for you. David understood when he had people like that, he understood when he didn't have people like that. So my question for us today that I'd like us to think about is, do we recognize the treasure that God gives, I believe, every one of us? Some of you might disagree with that, okay? But I think God and Flannery O'Connor would agree. She would. That in one way or another, God puts people in our lives, treasures. Not people that give us treasures. They are the treasure. And they, they know us. They love us. They, they have lives that reflect wisdom and joy and uh, 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 success, not necessarily dollar success, but they go through life, as the Bible says, from victory to victory. They, they're, they're doing it right. And they are willing, they love us so much that they're willing to risk the relationship. They're willing to risk hurting my feelings. They're willing to risk me saying, go jump in the lake, I'm done with you. They'll risk even that to possibly see me flourish.
or, or experience healing or victory or change. Solomon says in Proverbs 20, there is gold and rubies in abundance, but lips that speak knowledge are a rare jewel. He says again in Ecclesiastes 7, better to hear a wise man's rebuke than to be entertained by the songs of fools. No offense to the musical people, but I wonder, I tell people every week, why don't you go down to Christian Psych and talk to somebody? Oh man, they charge $150 an hour. Which I don't know if that's exactly what they charge, but oh, I could never afford that. What are those tickets costing you for that last rock concert? Oh, now that's totally different. Now that's, that's what, what, what do those tickets cost to go to Disney World? What do those tickets cost to go down to uh, that fancy restaurant? Yeah, but now that's, that's a, better to hear a wise man's rebuke than to be entertained by the songs of fools. As I said, Dathan, uh, David, God gave him, and I'm telling you, God gives you and me, Nathans, people who when they see us, get all, you know, mess up, blow it royally. I mean, we have dug a hole so deep we can't see sunshine. David did that with Bathsheba. Next thing you know, there's a head peering over in the hole. David, David, let's change this. Let's get out of that hole. Aren't you tired of being down in the dark? Isn't it wet and damp and musty and muddy and yucky and lonely down there? I'll hand you a rope and we'll get out of that together. What a treasure. What a treasure to have somebody. When everybody else is saying, I don't care. Serves him right. I told him so. He wouldn't listen. He th what a treasure. David gets in his mind these grandioso plans of building stuff for God. Nothing wrong with it. Just weren't the plans God had for his life. And he was about to light off in a direction that was not what God wanted. Again, that head peering over the edge of the hole. David, I know you think you've got it all laid out and what you're supposed to do, how it's supposed to go. I want to challenge you that that's not it. I want to help you see what God really has for your life. What a treasure. What a treasure. You had mentioned to me about Ruth. And, uh, and, um, and Esther. And Esther. Yeah. Yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah. Those are, again, like Naaman, like the Naaman story, very familiar stories. You know these. We know these probably, many of us. You know, Ruth, when she traveled back with her mother-in-law, uh, Naomi, Naomi asked her to do a very odd thing. And that was to go and lay at the feet of Boaz, who was the kinsman redeemer, 
Um, and, but it was an odd request. It was, a, 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 it was something that Ruth perhaps wouldn't have expected from her mother-in-law. She would have never dreamed of doing that on her own. Yeah, it was super, super risky. Yes, and could have easily been misunderstood. Yeah, that's right. Yeah. But she, she did it. She listened. To her mother-in-law. And became the what? Great-grandmother, on and on. The story goes, great-grandmother of David. Of, of David. Yeah. Just by listening. And, and Esther, Queen Esther, was asked to do a very risky thing in order to save an entire, her entire race. But nonetheless, I mean, that's, that's huge and wonderful. But this, you, we, we need you to do this thing. Go before the king. Say these things to the king. And she, list, she, she did it. She listened to her, her uncle. She listened to the wisdom. And we could go on and on all day with stories, uh, successful stories and unsuccessful stories. But I think the thing in those two with Ruth and Esther that they have in common is humility. There's an inkling, with those two there's a lot, but even an inkling of humility will open us to, we cry for help, we cry for help, we want help, we need help. But like Larry said, someone says, well, why don't you go and seek help here? We're not there. I don't know what the expectation is, but it's not that. And neither it's not my uncle Mordecai. It, it can't couldn't, be, it couldn't Naomi. be him. It couldn't be Naomi. She's as in bad a shape as me. That's a great point. How can I hear from you? But God, You're in more shape than I am. That grace, that grace that your lady friend was <laughs> always includes in her stories. Flannery. That grace, it God is God is speaking. God, that story in Mark four of the sower, probably the most famous parable in the Bible. Farmer sowing the seed, sowing the seed. And there's all kinds of things going on in there, but the point that we need to see is the farmer is always sowing the seed. And what's the seed? The Word of God. He's speaking, he's speaking, he's speaking. He's a, the farmer's never stopped. He never stops. He's speaking. He's, he's sowing his seed into our lives if we'll just listen. If we'll just listen to what God is saying to us. People say all the time, I don't hear God. He's not, you know, he, I don't hear him. I don't see. A big question is, am I listening? I mean, am I, am I enough to hear anything? Revelation chapter 3. John tells us that the Lord Jesus is saying, Behold, I stand at the door and I'm knocking. And if anybody will hear my voice and listen to my words and open the door, I will come in and sup with him. He's knocking, he's knocking, he's knocking. And at the end of that chapter, same chapter, Jesus says, if you have ears to hear, or, or he that has ears to hear, let him hear what the Spirit of God is saying to the churches. God's speaking, God's Spirit is speaking, God's Word is speaking, God's people are speaking. God is speaking to us. That, that's not the question. The question is, am I listening? Am I listening? Proverbs 12 says that fools think that their own way is right. But the wise person listens to others. How many of us we spend 5 and 10 and 20 and 30 and 40 and 50 years. Everybody's going to stub their toe. 
Everybody's going to get off track. Everybody's going to blow it. Everybody's going to mess up. Everybody's going to fall in the ditch. Everybody's going to have periodic, dang, I wish I hadn't have done that, right? But that's not what I'm talking about. I'm talking about these, whether you want to call them besetting sins, whether you want to call them uh, generational sins, whatever word floats your boat, these things that we are leprosy. That we repeat them over and over and over and over again. So we go through life with the same destructive behaviors, the same, we make the same destructive choices, and we never experience real healing, real victory. Real transformation. We, 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 and it might be in our area of our finances. We start out in the hole and our kids bury us. And they had to borrow the money to bury us. We, we never get out of that little bit of money, no money. Little bit of money, no money. Maybe a lot of money and no money. Same with our health. I've got some good friend doctors. <laughs> One of the things, if you leave, you know a doctor, one thing they'll tell you is people will not listen. This is what you need. You're hurting, you're unhealthy, you're, doing not, you're not doing good. You're right, doctor, you're right. Well, if you'll change these three things, things will be better, right, Tim? Do they listen? And, oh, I'm going to do it. I'm going to do it. I'm going to do it. They come back in six months, they've changed nothing, and they're shocked. That nothing's changed. And probably mad at the doctor. That's my bet. Like, why? Well, give me a pill for that. And whether it's our health, whether it's our jobs, how many of us, we're still blaming this list of, our, of employers for wronging us. And all 10, 15, 20 of them, they're all wrong. They're all the villains. Could it be that God was trying to speak to me, through some of them, if not all of them, about things that could have transformed my working or professional career in my marriage with my kids, in my spiritual life. We just, we never get out of these places of darkness and bondage and, and, and slavery. Um, be in the, and I'm telling you, it's not just that you got dealt a bad hand, or that karma, or all this. I, I want to suggest to us, we don't, we're just not willing to listen. We're not willing to listen. Proverbs 10 says, The wise listen to others, but fools would rather argue, and they fill their lives with trouble. We got to end. Clearly, we need to be careful who we listen to. If the Bible tells us that a wise person is willing to listen and a fool is not, a person that experiences healing and victory and blessings and transformation listens and a person that won't listen misses these things. The Bible 
also says equally powerfully, be careful who you listen to. Am I listening to people who love me and know me and are committed to me? They want me to succeed. And they have a life that backs up, that gives evidence to the fact that maybe they're worth listening to. They might bring something to the table worth listening to. And they're courageous. They're courageous people. They're people that will tell me the truth. If, if I get mad, if I withdraw, if I tell them to jump in the lake, they love me more than they love me being happy. Well, I listen to these people. And I would, I would add one more thing. Shirley, and you, you, God has used you to teach me this probably as strongly as anybody. The older we get, the more we tend to surround ourselves with fewer and fewer people that are not like us. You know, when you're young, you're in college, man, you've got friends from every perspective and you're hearing all these things and debating all these things and you got all this. You go to an old folks' home. You go to a, to a these, you know, like to these places where all the old people hang out. Retirement well, whatever village. Whatever have you. Oh yeah, retirement village. Whatever it is. Retirement village. Over the, over the year. Over years. We're going to be there soon enough. I'm ready. I'm happy as heck to be there. Find me. Um, I won't have to start cutting grass. Anyway, um, the older we get, the more we tend to hang around people that are just like us. Same color, same political views, same financial status, same educational status. They, they have the same values, the same And I'm telling, that almost sounds good. But I am telling you, that is not good. It is healthy and right and good and wise to have people in your life that see things very differently and that would approach things differently and that challenge us to see. doesn't mean they're right, we're wrong, or vice versa. That's it's the just, trap. That's the trap. Yes, yes. We feel like we have to surround ourselves with people who are right, like us, all right, all the time, like me. And that's, that's a tra- I think that's a big trap. Yes. What's, you're the one that taught me that continue to fill your life with people that speak very differently, that challenge you to think and stretch you, that argue with you. And maybe, God, I realize this wouldn't be true of any of us, but maybe we need to change a little bit. Maybe we need to move off center a little bit. Maybe we need to be drug from where we've been with our feet in granite over a little bit. Anyway, I'll tell you another quick thing before we end. There's a big difference. I want people in my... I love sympathy. I want you, when I'm, when I'm sad, when I've been wronged, 
when I when things aren't going my way, I want you to feel sorry for me. I owe you, little dear. Bless your heart. I can't believe those mean people would have done treated you that way at work. Or that mean teacher or coach. Or your your husband. How the mean, mean. I want sympathy. Nowhere in the Bible would God ever want us to give each other sympathy. In fact, the Bible would suggest that sympathy is of the devil, not of God. Listen to what Oswald Chambers says. The people who build and strengthen and protect us the most are not those who give us sympathy, for sympathy only serves to weaken our endurance and resilience and makes us feel that God is cruel and is dealing with us in harsh and unfair ways. What If God doesn't want us to experience sympathy, what, pray tell, might He want us Believe to Believe it or not, we might have discussed this earlier. <laughs> well, we've discussed it many, many times. Empathy. Empathy, not sympathy. Not the same. God it's doesn't like want you to hear you little deer. Bless your heart. That is not, that's not the voice of God. What is the voice of God? Well, empathy is listening. That, that's, that's pretty much it. Listening and then saying back what you just heard. Full stop. So you tell me a story, it's terrible, it really is terrible, things are falling apart, it's, it's very difficult. And I say, sympathy is, all, oh dear, that's too bad. Empathy is, I heard everything you said, here it is back. I heard you. I heard you. And I weep with you. That's it. That's, that to me is a big part of it. I can't fix that. Yeah. For me to say, oh here, I'll fix that, or here, I can't fix that. Husbands? God doesn't want you to give your wife sympathy or solutions. God never asked you to give your wife sympathy or solutions. What God asked you to give your wife is empathy. Listen I, and say, I oh, that is hard. And it hurts me to know you're hurting. That, that's of God. And that involves listening. Listening. Will we listen? I hope you have a, a, a brother or a sister. If you don't, sorry. My, my daughter doesn't. Um, but I hope you do. You know, the Bible says that there is a friend that sticks closer than a brother. There's so much in that. Because if you have a brother, you know, two things I know about my brother, and I've got a great brother. Now, we have literally almost killed each other millions of times in the 60 years that I've known him. But, uh, uh, but I've got a great brother. But here's the thing that I know about my brother. My brother is passionately loyal to me. If you wronged me, he would fall on you like a load of bricks. But buddy, he will tell me the truth. He's not always strong on the way he says it, but he, he doesn't care about hurting my feelings. He will, when I act like a rearian, he tells me I'm a rearian. He tells me the truth. He's loyal to me, but he tells me the truth. 
things I need to hear even though I don't want to hear it. The Bible says that we have a friend that sticks closer than a brother. You might say, well, that's talking about Jesus. Yay! But I would suggest that there's lots of assistance to Jesus that He puts in our lives that are loyal to us to the end. But they don't care if they hurt our feelings. They're going to tell us the truth. The question is, am I going to benefit from that truth? The Bible declares that having people in our lives that will tell us the truth, they are treasures. You know, most of the great treasures, I've, I've had the benefit of going to the, the National Museum in Cairo, Egypt. I've had the benefit of going to the great museums in New York and D.C. I've had the, the privilege of going to the great museums in Paris and in London. And what they're filled with is treasures. The greatest treasures in the world. And do you know that 99% of those treasures share something in common? There's some exceptions, but 99% of the great treasures in those museums, they were not discovered by accident. Somebody decided, I want to find that treasure. And they found it. Great treasures are normally not discovered by accident. They are intentionally sought. Through a lot of work. Through a lot of hard work. Having people in our lives that will speak the truth to us. That is a treasure. Well, I don't have any of those treasures. I don't have anybody. Well, my question is, why not? Are you seeking those people out? Have you gone to people that you see, observe their life and go, that, guy, that, that person's got it. They're not perfect. But they love me. They're living it out. And they're courageous enough to tell me the truth. Would you be a person like that in my life, Stacy? Would you, when you notice things in my life that are concerning or worse, would you love me enough to come and say something to me and challenge me? It's not a matter of, are you my authority? That's not, that's the wrong, that's not the issue. The issue is not authority. The issue is desperation. I don't want to live the rest of my life in leprosy. And if there are treasures that will speak truth into my life that can set me free, oh my gosh, don't let me miss that. Love me enough to tell that to me. And there are treasures like that, I believe, in every one of our lives. If we just open our eyes, humble ourselves, and look for them. Intentionally. We'll stop there. You know, in storms, little children, bad storms, bad storms, little children want a blankie. Adults want a flashlight. I don't want a blankie. In a real storm, I want a flashlight. It's dark. Show me the way out of this deal. Don't, don't, don't settle for blankies. 
Get you some flashlights in your life. Okay? Um, who's helping me today? Anybody? Brenda, are you helping me? Oh, no, y'all aren't. Y'all are going to go pray? Are y'all going to do this too? Okay, well, come on. Great. Hey, all right. Um, we're going to celebrate the Lord's Supper as we end our service. Don't forget that after the service, we're going to gather over here. Anybody that needs prayer, anybody that can pray and will pray, come join us. Um, I was walking this morning and praying for you and thinking about what we're going to do today. And one of the things that struck me was just being reminded, you know what, we, what, what you call what we're doing right now? We're taking the Lord's Supper. The Lord's Supper. It's not my supper, not your supper, not the Pope's supper, not Christ Community Church's supper, not Billy Graham's supper. It's the Lord's Supper. I love that idea, that image, that Jesus is inviting us to have a meal with Him. He's not trying to mobilize the troops. He's not trying to rebuke us. He's not trying to uh, denounce us or criticize us or get us to do something necessarily. He just wants to be with us. And He shows us that by inviting us to His supper. That time when we just eat and we drink with Him and we remember how much He loves us and what He did on the cross so that we could be a part of His family. So if you hear that invitation from the Lord Himself. Come dine with me. Come dine with me. I'd like to just spend time with you because I love you. You take this bread and you take this juice and you eat and you drink with me.